All right, everybody, welcome to episode four of the Running Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Lee. As a reminder, Running Shorts is a running-themed podcast that interviews runners, the community that supports them, race organizers, equipment and apparel manufacturers, and more. We speak to everyone from back-of-the-pack penguins, mid-packers, age group winners, to world-class elites to find out their training secrets, favorite races, and running history. Today, I am absolutely excited to welcome a very special guest, a true renaissance man, Sid Garza-Hillman, to the show. Uh, I've had the absolute joy of racing in an ultramarathon that Sid founded and directs on the Mendocino, California coast uh, from its inaugural year in 2016 and every year since. Um, this year, 2020, was supposed to be the fifth anniversary of the race. However, due to the coronavirus slash COVID-19 public health emergency, and California Governor Gavin Newsom prohibiting gatherings of 250 people or more, the Center for Disease Control recommending events of no larger than 50 people, and President Trump recommending events with no more than 10 people, Sid had to postpone the Mendocino Ultra until 2021. Besides organizing the ultra marathon, Sid's an extremely interesting person. He's a self-described nutritionist, small steps coach, ultra marathon race director, podcaster, um, and his show is What Sid Thinks, book author two times, and we're going to learn about each of these asset, uh, each of these facets of Sid's life while also learning about the Mendocino Ultra Marathon and his running journey. So thanks for joining me, Sid. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. It's a, it's a, it was a good, it was a thing I was looking forward to. That's a good thing today. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. I am wearing, um, our, our audio listeners can't see, but I'll, I'll probably throw this uh, video online as well. I'm wearing uh, some swag from Sid's races. So I have on my head right now, uh, Mendocino Ultra uh, ball cap. And then on my shirt, I am wearing the year one Mendocino Ultra uh, tee. So it's something, uh, you know, I've kept all of the swag over the years nice. and uh, plan on collecting more uh, over it. So Sid, we're going to launch into the into the show here. And I call this segment dynamic warm up. Um, would love to just kind of give you the opportunity to briefly describe yourself in your own words, who is Sid Garza Hillman? Oh man, um, I God, who am I? Who? No, um, I. You know, the 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 most important part of me is that I'm a husband and father of three. Um, I have a weird, lot of left turn history. Um, I I grew up in Los Angeles and and um, for a lot of my life, and then San Diego and Houston, and then back to Los Angeles for college. I went to UCLA and graduated with a bachelor's degree in philosophy. And I always joked that that trained me extremely well for what I was trying to do at the time, which was to be an indie rock musician. And so I was playing in LA for years and, and ended up uh, working whatever job I could do. But then I ended up falling into acting. So I became a working actor and, and passionate musician. I did that for a while until LA uh, got the best of me. I think I, my wife and I were ready to get out of there. So we got out of there and moved up to Mendocino. I started working at the Stanford Inn uh, Resort that you know about. And um, I had had a lifelong, well, adult lifelong passion for nutrition. So I went back to school in 2008 and went to a certified nutritionist program, became a nutritionist, wrote a couple books, uh, found, uh, you know, crafted my specific approach to health and happiness called Small Steppers. I uh, run a 12-week program, smallsteppers.com. And in that realm of, of you know, helping people become happier, vi more vibrant people. And of course, my main, my main goal is always to live what I, what I talk about myself. So I was doing things and, and adventures and all these kinds of things. And one of the things I fell into was, was running and, uh, longer distances than I had ever run. I was a very recreational runner. So I ran a couple of marathons when I was 45 and didn't really like them. I was like, oh, okay, marathons, you know, on the road, uh, not to knock it, it just wasn't me. But then I read Born to Run. I was like, trails, what's going on there? So I got on trails and it was like a light switch. I just went, boom, this is amazing. So I, was, I decided to sign up for a 50 miler. And I was on the trails locally uh, running around with, a, with my training partner, who's also named Sid, this girl. And she was showing me all these trails. I thought, this is, there's got to be an ultra run marathon up here, right? And she's like, no. I go, oh my, this is insane. So I started looking into it and literally was like, okay, I'm put one together. And so that was Mendocino Coast 50K that got launched in 2016. And, um, and the, you know, then here I am, I run a wellness center at a resort and help people around the world with my small steps and, and writing a third book right now and just, you know, living with my family and stuff. Got it. Okay, great. So, um, you know, how, how old are you? Where do you live on the Mendocino coast? 
So I live in between the village of Mendocino and the town of Fort Bragg. So my address is Fort Bragg, but I'm technically in Mendocino County because I'm not in, in any city proper. Um, and I've been here for about 14 years. Uh, and um, I'm 51. And yeah, so I've got three kids. I got a 15 year old and 10 year old twins and, and almost 11. And my wife's a graphic designer and we're, you know, busting out. Got it. How would you describe Mendocino? What drew you there? Why Mendocino? Well, what drew me there was two things. One, it was not Los Angeles, um, like severely not Los Angeles. And two, my wife and I, before we had kids, went to Scotland in 2002 and fell in love with Scotland and really tried to make a move to Scotland because we liked everything about it in terms of the small town, the cliffs, the ocean, that feel. And I was actually on tour as a musician in Europe and my and and I was playing around for about a month. Uh, and my wife and I were talking during that time of, moving and she said what about northern california and i said ah san francisco i don't want to do that she goes no like north of san francisco and i was like you mean there's a north of san francisco and she goes yeah like mendocino she knew about this area so i'd never been here and she sent me she would send me photos and links of that i thought this is like insane how beautiful this is and so we found a place to live online and i visited on a monday for the first time and by that saturday we had put our house up for sale in los angeles and and put an offer on a house up here and and two months later we moved it was like a six-day turnaround the two of us came up to this area and we're like this is it and it was risky and there's been some you know it's a struggle but um all in all i couldn't be happier living up here got it and mendocino is a rural community right it's uh i mean how many people totally. live in the area of mendocino and fort bragg the yeah, the town of Mendocino is a thousand, and the Fort Bragg town is seven thousand. Um, there's you know little coastal towns up and down the coast um, that all kind of come to Fort Bragg for for stuff to do, like the hospital and you know Rite Aid or whatever. But it's 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 a very small, totally rural. Like I live up a country road. You know, and there's not. I'm on a well. You know, like stuff that I just was like, oh my god, it's completely anti-LA in a good way. No parking meters. You know, so it's a different experience in a good way. Got it. And so. When you are going through a typical day, what are, what are you doing um, you know, in terms of all those different things that I mentioned in terms of your online coaching business, in terms of your um, nutrition work at the resort, in terms of Mendocino Ultra, things like that? Well, it depends on time of year. So obviously, until I had to cancel the race, I was in, in pretty full race mode. Um, I've gotten, this is in it, it would, would have been in its fifth year, next year will be its fifth year. So I've gotten, each year gets a little less stressful because I, I sort of, I've been through it, you know, and so I, 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 I really keep the race tight. I love the way that it is. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything else with it. It's like perfect the way it is. I always say like, if people stop coming, then I'll can it. Like it just, I just love it the way it is. And obviously it's been selling out every year. So, so far so good. Um, so that's kind of now in general, I work at the, I generally, I work full time at the Stanford Inn. I run their wellness center and help manage the, the restaurant staff. Um, so I do, you know, the retreat planning. I work with guests who are coming up on private retreats. I take, teach cooking and nutrition classes there. When I'm not at the resort, I'm, you know, writing books. I'm doing my podcast. I have a, well, I had a YouTube channel, which I still is there, but I moved over to Vimeo because I was mad at YouTube and probably I may come back there. But anyway, so I'm on my off days um, when I'm not with the kids and everything, I'll be doing those kinds of things. I still write songs and, you know, keep kind of busy that way. But day to day, I'm going to the resort and, and doing that whole deal. And then at night when the kids are in bed and you know, I'll, I'll get my writing done or whatever that comes up like that. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about the Stanford Inn um, and Resort. So, um, you know, I'm familiar with the Stanford Inn. And so a funny story is, um, you know, actually, my wife and I were visiting Mendocino, and there's a school up there called the Rainbow School. Um, right. I'm my not kids, really... went, to, my oh, kids yeah. went to preschool there. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, and so my wife, it was a rainy day, my wife, Elizabeth and I, we went, uh, we were just walking around town, and we stumbled across the Rainbow School, and they're having a silent auction. Um, and, you know, we see that we're relatively early in the day. We didn't see a lot of bids. So we decided to put down bids on a lot of different items um, that were up for auction at, at the Rainbow School. And we ended up winning uh, far too many <laughs> that we hadn't budgeted for. Uh, right. We won uh, you know, a kayak trip with Kayak Mendocino. Nice. We won um, dinner at the Raven, which is the restaurant the Stanford Inn, right. uh, things like that. Um, so, so describe for, uh, the listeners, uh, the Stanford in, uh, in terms of the clientele, in terms of who it attracts, in terms of what it, um, what its mission is. Well, Joan and Jeff Stanford, and that's why it's called Stanford. It has nothing to do with the, with the uh, university, although their daughter went to Stanford, but that's completely coincidental. But anyway, Joan and Jeff bought it in 1980. They've been innkeepers even before that. Um, and they bought it as a relatively small inn and with really nothing there. And they built this incredible, what is now a resort. Um, it has an organic farm, it has canoeing and biking, it has an indoor pool, it has the full wellness center, it's got the plant-based restaurant. 
Um, it's the only um, 100% plant-based resort in North America. And oddly enough, 90% or more of our guests are not 100% plant-based. Um, so we're just getting people who really want a, um, an, a good, calming, oftentimes transformative, I got to tell you, like people have, they go like this, they kind of, it puts them in a good, it's, in a, it's a really, there's nothing like it and which makes us marketing it difficult because we're trying to tell people like kind of what it is and, and you sort of got to be there in some ways, you know. Um, it's an incredible place. It really, really is. It's got its own, definitely its own feel. And um, yeah, so it's a true resort. People come, but it has a bar. You know, it's not a health, it's not a health retreat. It is a resort that people come. Now they can do healthy things like the nutrition class or the Joan Stanford's an art therapist. So she does creative play shops. There's lots of things you can do there if you want. You can also sit on your deck and look at the ocean and have a glass of wine, you know? And so we leave that really up to, to all the, all, whoever comes. Um, guests range from young families to retired. I mean, it, it's all over the map, you know, it really is all over the map and we love that. Right. And you said um, it's hundred percent plant-based, right? Right. And so I've eaten at the Raven restaurant and uh -huh. I had no idea that it was hundred percent plant-based. Well, when did you eat there? Uh, this probably was 2017, 2018. Yeah. 100% plant-based since 2011. So the, the, that's when the breakfast became hundred, we had already made the dinner hundred percent plant-based, but the dinner, the breakfast in 2011, that at that point we became the only hundred percent, um, plant-based resort in, in North America. Um, and so, yeah, it's, and that's the thing is that, like I said, most of our overwhelmingly, most of our guests aren't, and they still oddly enough have a great time. It's great food. They have a martini, <laughs> you know, like our cocktails are awesome, you know? So it's like, it's, it, you wouldn't know it if you, unless you were sort of like, Oh, wait a second, you know, and that's kind of the experience most people have. Right. And are you um, creating nutrition plans for the guests or are these typically for retreats that are, are separate um, in terms of not, you know, onesies and twosies, but in terms of, um, you know, maybe groups and, and um, events and things like that? Um, it's mostly it's no. So I'm doing classes there. IMT. I have a very specific approach to nutrition, which is to make it as simple, which as I believe it to be. So I don't typically, unless I'm working with somebody who's an elite athlete kind of thing where I would get a little deeper for most people. Um, it, nutrition is extremely simple. I don't measure counterweight anything day to day at all zero. And I try to get people away from that model. So what I'm teaching at the end is a, in a, a, what I call it is it's, it's a philosophy of nutrition. It's a way of looking at food. The class is called nutrition and healthy living, which means that healthy living is a bigger picture than food. So I want people to get less obsessed about food, less hyper-focused on food so they can actually do what in theory, eating well delivers, which is fun and happiness and joy and doing cool stuff in your life, like running an ultra marathon. So that's my goal there. Cooking much the same way. Joan and Jeff and I crafted these classes to be practical. This is not a chef instructor kind of thing. This is like, what do I do at home when I get home? We're like, here's what you do. This is how easy this is. And, it, and it's, it's become very effective that way. Yeah. And you have um, a philosophy on, on eating and on food. Uh, I think I saw this in the introduction to your book, um, Approaching the Natural, where you said, um, you know, a reader would open the book and they would find the following instructions on the first page. Eat fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and beans. Step one. Step two, drink clean water when you're thirsty. Step three, exercise every day. And then the remaining pages of your book would be blank. Is that, is that how you would kind of sum up your manifesto? That's it's a yeah. I mean, of course, I can get a little bit deep down to the manifesto is only one chapter on food and the rest is on everything else. And so the, my, the whole book is actually a philosophy of health and happiness, which is that it's way bigger than food. And the point of that joke in the intro was food can you I can teach you everything you need to know an hour and a half. I mean, easily. Then the question is, what are you going to do with that knowledge? Because we know more about nutrition than we've ever known in our lot in our species. And yet we're getting less healthy. So is it because we don't know enough? We, we know enough. Most people walk in the door to one of my classes know enough. They need to know what to do with that knowledge. In fact, most people are like over-informed. Their, their heads are spinning. They've read so many things and sat in so many lectures and gotten so much opposing uh, advice that they don't even know what to do with it. And now they, they're like, they're just as unhealthy as they were before all that craziness. So I'm stepping in and saying, let's calm this down. Let's do a practical way of looking at this thing. So then you walk out the door and go, yes, I can do that. I may not, that's your choice, but you know how. There's never an excuse of like, I don't know enough. It's like, no, I know enough. And then you can make that decision if you want. Got it. And so do you um, live the same type of lifestyle in terms of um, food and eating that uh, the Raven restaurant in the Stanford Inn does in terms of being 100% plant-based yourself? Yeah, 17 years. Yeah. My wife and kids as well. Got it. And yeah. Was, talk to me about how that decision happened and how that's been over the past 17 years. Have you ever wavered in that, uh, you know, in terms of raising your kids too, and uh, maybe 
uh, starting them with you know, maybe animal protein and then switching over to plant-based things like that. No, we went a hundred percent, uh, right away. I just knew too much, you know, and then this is the thing is like, when you know what you know, you know, it's that if you know stuff and then you don't act on that, then all of a sudden you're in conflict about it. Then you're, then you're like, I know this, I should be doing this. I'm not doing it. It's like, I know too much, you know? And what I realized was my wife and I want a happy family. I think every parent does. And I don't want to be worried about my kids. I don't want to feed them things that would make me concerned. And so I feed them 100% plant-based so that I don't have to worry about them. It's less risky. I know there's a lot of conventional wisdom so-called that is like, oh, you got to be careful. It's like, I got to be less careful than Americans who are unhealthy and kids who are unhealthy. They're not plant-based on statistically. I mean, the, the type two diabetes, all the things that are running rampant in kids, heart disease showing up in age five, six years old with kids. These are not 100% plant-based kids. And by the way, you can obviously be very unhealthy and be plant-based. I mean, Oreos are plant-based. So what I'm talking about the healthy version of this, but when you're eating the healthy version most of the time, it's like, I don't have to worry about it. That's why I do it so that I can free myself up and my wife to do other cool stuff, like be with them and not have to worry about food, you know, and also know that they don't have out, al- like, I feel good that they don't have allergies like I had when I was a kid. Like they, their skin is, my daughter's 15 year old skin is clear. She's fit and she's on the swim team and she's thin and she's, you know, healthy and the kids are doing basketball and soccer, all the things that kids do and I don't have to worry about them. And I really dig that because I want to be able to write books and not be, you know, fretting about my kids health all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so does, in terms of, it seems like your life is very intertwined in terms of all the different, um, you know, activities that you do. Um, so, you know, switching gears a little bit from the nutrition piece to the actual books, um, you've written two books. Uh, you yeah. said you're working on the third. So the first yeah. one uh, that you published in 2013 is called Approaching the Natural a Health Manifesto. Right. And the second one in 2017 is called Raising Healthy Parents, um, which is uh, a very interesting topic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, would love to kind of hear a, in terms of uh, a synopsis from you about each of these books. And then, you know, you know how did you go from approaching the natural to raising healthy parents? Right. So approaching the natural is basically my philosophy of health. That's when I started, you know, the short story is I started out as a nutritionist advising people on nutrition and realizing that after about two months, they weren't following my recommendations. And I thought this isn't working. Like why you, you hired me, you paid me. I told you what to eat, when to eat it, and you're not following it. So I realized two things. One, health is a bigger picture than food. Two, 90% of my work, which has now become at least 90% is how to work with the knowledge, how to craft an approach so that you can make this happen in real life. Because otherwise I've just taught you stuff that has literally filled your brain with a big, huge waste of information. Because if you're not going to use it, I, I, I rather have, I wish I had not filled, put that in your brain because you already know enough. So if I can, if I'm going to put something in your brain, I want you to use it. Otherwise I fail. So that's when I really started saying, okay, and this is where my philosophy training came in. Like, okay, what is really what's at stake here? Why are people not following what I'm talking about? That was approaching the natural. I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm, what about small steps? I define my own particular brand of small steps, which is not one size fits all. It's not two minutes micro movement. It's how can I craft things that people perceive themselves as small steps? They go, oh, this is easy for me to do. I can start with this thing, adding in always, never stopping anything, never saying I'm going to stop eating junk food. I said, keep eating junk food for now. What if you start by bringing in one apple a day? Can you do that? Oh yeah, it's easy. Okay. That's where you're going to start. And there's always an end point, but it, but it was about exercise also. And it was about socializing. And it was about creativity. It was about all the things that make up a human being. And how can we bring in thing, new things in a way that doesn't overwhelm us or stagnate us? Like too little, not good enough. Too much, overwhelm. So the small step is that right, that pocket of adaptive stress. Like you as an ultra runner, you know, if you go out and run as fast as you can, every time you run, you're going to burn out. You're not going to be able to hit longer distances. The first thing I heard a guy uh, as a coach for my first ultra marathon. Um, and he said, slow down. And I'd been like a three mile runner, always eight and eight minute, mile, eight and a half minute mile. Right. And he goes, slow down. I go, what do you mean? He goes like, slow down like 10, 11 minute miles. I was like, good Lord. That's like embarrassing. He goes, yeah, you're going to do that because you're then you're gonna be able to run 20 miles and your body's going to be able to adapt. And that's the thinking around this is like, if you go too much, or if I just too little, like walked, then I'm going to, I'm going to hate that too. But if I find that nice pocket of, of a minimal adaptive stress pocket, then all of a sudden my body and mind can adjust. And I applied that basically to, I had already, but I applied that basically to, to uh, everything I coach. Um, so that was approaching the natural. As I'm working with clients, small steps, you know, coaching people, small steps, the big, a large part of stress for a lot of clients I was working with was the family was raising kids. 
and they, I found them saying, you know, I'm, I'm so stressed when I come home at, at the end of the day and I'm, I'm, I yelled at my kids. I lost, I lost it. You know, those kinds of terms. I thought, what is this going on here? Raising healthy parents was simply to say, okay, you have, if you want to parent the kids, however you want to parent them, because I'm not, I'm not a parenting coach. I'm not going to tell you how to talk to your teenager to get them how to do homework. I am going to say that if you take care of yourself and know how to do that, you become a better parent because then you walk in the door less stressed. And when you do that, you don't lose it as much. And when you don't lose it as much, you're not mad at yourself and beating yourself up. So raising healthy parents, it's called raising healthy parents, small steps, less stress, and a thriving family. It's simply to say, raise yourself first, set the example of health, and create health and happiness in yourself so that you can parent the way you want to parent. And that was that was how that grew from my, my work with clients. It was like, I got to, I got to address the, cause I saw all these parenting books, how to talk to your, uh, talk to them calmly. I go, oh, that sounds great. Great. What if you've just worked 15 hours a day and you sat in traffic for an hour, then you want to talk to your kids. How do I do, how do I talk to my kids calmly? That's one of my books. This is how you talk to your kids calmly. Cause you know how to negotiate your own life and then you can pull that off better. Got it. Yeah. I, I like that philosophy. It kind of reminds me of this, um, you know, that uh, you have to, uh, oops, sorry, my name just switched my audio. There we go. Um, you have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. And That's right. if you can't take care of yourself, then um, you know, you're going to have all these challenges in terms of um, uh, your relationship with other people as well. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, one second here. Let me just, uh, hold on, fix some audio issues on my side. Cool. Okay. Can you uh, say something, Sid? Yeah. Oh, I think I might have okay. lost you for a second. One second. Okay. Here. Okay. Okay. We just had a brief audio issue that I fixed. Thanks for Sid being patient with me on this. No worries. Um, so, Sid, uh, you know, I, we were talking about how, um, you know, if you if you don't, can't take care of yourself, it's very hard to take care of those around you. Right. Um, and that and that's how you. Uh, you know, came up with this, with this book, uh, raising healthy parents. Um, right. I want to ask you something that's really interesting. I was reading, um, part of approaching the natural and I noticed that you had a very interesting person who wrote the foreword for your book. Yeah. Um, can you, t can you tell the listeners a little bit about who wrote the foreword, um, and how that came to be to approaching the natural, right. uh, a guy named Biz Stone. Um, I probably, you know, I, I don't know how famous he is, but he's been on Colbert and, you know, he's, he's fairly big. He's, but he was a frequenter to the Stanford Inn. And in fact, he and his wife got married there. Um, and so I got to know him by virtue of him being around there. He's a, a you know, 100% plant vegan guy and um, talks about that a lot and written a bunch of books and, or how many books, I don't even know. Anyway, so we were chatting one day and he found out that I was working on a book, asked me about it. I told him kind of where it was happening. The publisher had already, uh, I'd already done a publishing contract, but I naively was like, he goes, well, how, how long is it going to take you to get it done? I go, you tell me a date, I'll get it done. As if I have no, I'm talking out of my, I have no idea, right? So he goes, how, how about July 31st? I go, yeah, no problem or whatever. <laughs> so I was like, it's way over, way over date. I mean, I was way over date. Anyway, people are like, you'll get it done. I go, no, no, I really aren't, I'm really not going to get it done. Like I won't get it done in time. Like you, they're like, yes, you will. I go, no, no, really won. I was like a month late. Anyway. So I, I, I said, yeah, I'm, uh, I got a book coming out. And by this time I'd kind of had it rolling and Biz said, Hey, if you need somebody to write a forward. And I was like, yes. And so he wrote the forward to the book and, um, and yeah, and that was that. So he, yeah, that he's the forward writer. Yeah. Well, you kind of undersold him in your description there. So Biz Stone is actually one of the, one of the four oh, co-founders of Twitter. I should have mentioned. Yeah, I mentioned <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. And he's, I guess he's back there. I haven't talked to him. Like I haven't talked to him in years. Like he hasn't been back to the, to the inn. I mean, I, I would trade emails with him for a while and I just haven't, I just haven't been in touch with him. Yeah. Yeah. So Biz Stone for, for the listeners, I guess maybe this was, um, I was, uh, you know, more surprised because, um, he is one of the four co-founders of Twitter, along with Jack Dorsey, who's the current CEO of Twitter and uh, Square, uh, Ev Williams, who founded mm -hmm. Medium, the uh, blogging company. Um, and then sadly, I don't know who the fourth co-founder is, but Biz was one of the four. Um, and so uh, Sid definitely underplayed the fact that uh, <laughs> this guy who's worth you know hundreds of millions of dollars wrote, wrote the foreword for his book. So I thought yeah. that was very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So let's pivot a little bit and, and talk about the Mendocino Ultra. Um, you gave us a little bit of detail about you ran a couple of road marathons, weren't that interested. Uh, you started getting on the trails and you really enjoyed it. Uh, mm -hmm. What were those first, I guess, I guess let's go back even a little bit further. Um, 
what was your running history before running those marathons? Just very record. So I'd done a, I think the most I'd done is I think I'd done two half marathons like years before, you know, this is like over 10 years before. Yeah, at least. And so, um, you know, my dad was ran marathons. I, I was a recreational 10 K kind of guy, kind of guy, you know, but mostly I didn't really enjoy racing. Like I didn't really enjoy going to races. So I would just run two or three miles, you know, maybe four miles here and just here and there. It was like that, that kind of thing. I'd go out for a run. And so there's just sort of my choice of, of exercise in Los Angeles. I would run up to this pool. I do some laps, run home, you know, not, not a, not a big deal at all. So it really wasn't on my radar. I, I do attribute my improvement in my own knowledge about food because as I'm, you know, again, I always like to tell people like I ran my first marathon at 45. It's not like I was a you know runner my whole life. And then it was like a natural thing. Like it was a very new thing for me. But as I started to eat better and feel better then all of a sudden I'm coming back from longer runs, feeling totally fine. Like my recovery, I'm on like, even to this day, zero drugs, uh, a prescription or otherwise, like no Tylenol, no painkillers, nothing. I don't have joint pain, nothing. So as I started to eat better, and being able to pull those distances, it was simply like, oh, maybe I'll try this. And then the ultra run happened only because I didn't love the road marathon experience. It was like I ran a CIM, California International in Sacramento. That same year, I ran Avenue of the Giants up in Humboldt. And, I, and I, I liked Avenue of the Giants in terms of running through the forest, but it was on a road and it was kind of boring, frankly. Like I just I was kind of bored. It was like all about the watch and the, and the time. And I was like, this is not I'm 46, like I don't 45, like I don't want to, this is not my thing. And just serendipitously, I found Born to Run. Um, actually, Jeff Stanford gave me an article about barefoot running. And then that led to, uh, I was like, that's kind of interesting. And then that led to Born to Run and Scott Jurek and all these kinds of things. And I thought, what's it going on here? And then I, then I got on the trails for the first time. And I thought, this is absolutely my, my bag because I don't give a crap. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mid to back of the packer. Like I like being out there and running. I don't really look at my watch too much except for to say like, I got to turn around and get home. You know, time, like I, I need to get home. You know, that's kind of like my, yeah. my timing on runs, you know? Yeah. And so, and then because I was trained, you know, I, I trained for a 50 mile. I ran the American River 50 that next year at 46. Mm. I ran the way too cool 50K as part of the training for the American river 50 miler. Um, and, and just being on trails, I thought this is absolutely right for a, 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 an ultra marathon in this area. There's 80, 89, less than 89,000 people in the entire Mendocino County. This is a very low population place. And so having a race here is like paradise because there's not a lot of hoops to jump through. There's not a lot of, I'll be in the, I'll be on a trail in the middle of summer, the busiest season on the coast. And maybe I'll see one other person ever. You know, everyone's on the beach. You know, right. nobody's on the trail. So it's not like a big, I got to negotiate and have everybody. You know, it's fine. It's very easy to get done. Yeah. Relatively. Right. Um, so a couple of things that you mentioned there uh, are really interesting. I, I was also a big uh, reader and proponent of Born to Run. Um, and I once organized a marathon myself. Um, wow. And Chris McDougal, the author of Born to Run, actually was kind enough to donate books to the uh, oh. the winners of that race. So it seems like uh, just a tremendous guy in addition to obviously a fabulous writer. Um, and so I uh, love hearing that from you. Um, that that's, you know, what got you interested in the longer stuff. Um, the other thing that you mentioned that I found interesting is, is yes, you know, the humble marathon is, is great. You're kind of surrounded by trees, but you are running on that, you know, two lane highway, yeah. um, you know, pretty much the entire time. And so, uh, I, I, as I recall, I think, is it an out and back? It's a V. So you it's go out and back one leg and then you go out and back the other leg. At mm -hmm. least when I did it, I mean, they've changed it since, but right. yeah, that was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, so. great. it's a great race. Like I'm not going to knock them. It's a great right. race. Yep. But it's sort of like, it's like the terrain is one dimensional. And that, mm -hmm. and I, and I love the fact that trails, I mean, we can get into this if you want, but it's, it's, it's a meditate. So running's always been sort of a meditation in a way for me. And I, uh -huh. trails keeps me completely attentive involuntarily. Like you have to pay attention because I fall, I'll fall. And right. I've done that plenty of times, you know? And so if you're not, in fact, I fall more when I'm on the road because I zone out and I don't really pay attention, but on the trail, you're there, man. And if you don't, if you look up and wander around, you hit a root and you're down, you know? And so it's sort of this more natural, the way I see it is sort of under this guise of approaching the natural. It's a more natural way for us to, it really is. I mean, if you think about it, pavement is a totally unnatural surface. It's flat in a way that nothing natural is that flat. Right. Yep. And so you're, it's harder. I think it's hard on the body because it's just pounding the same way every single time. Whereas trails, you have a lot of lateral movement. I mean, that coach that I hired that first 
month or two of my training was like start doing bands and stretching your legs in and out and getting the sides of your legs worked out. Like I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And I, and I, and I just took to it. It just was such a cool experience for me. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the process of starting a brand new race. Um, and would love to hear about like what kind of permits you need, what type of organization, are you a one man show? Uh, I know that it's obviously grown over time and now you have a little bit of help, but, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I got I had the benefit of two things. One, as a small steps coach, I applied my own philosophy to me, which is that I I just got the curiosity aspect in there. I did email some people, Hal Kerner, to get some feedback. No, nobody would write me back. So I simply was like, in fact, I used a marathon road training manual of like here's to, to learn. So I had the benefit of going, I try this. Worst case scenario doesn't work out. Whoop de doo. And that's something that I teach people to, you know, the failure aspect of this is like it's not a failure if you try something new and you don't, it doesn't work. Like I couldn't give a crap. Like I just want to, you know, give it a shot. Right. So, um, so I got, had that benefit. Number two, I got to go blank slate on this, which was kind of exciting for me. I, and basically the question I asked is what is the exact race that I would want to run myself? That, that was the leading principle of this, of this race. What is exact ultra marathon that I want to run? And I had already run the American river 50 and I'd already run the way too cool. And the American river 50 you got to get up at three o'clock in the morning. You got to go into the hotel lobby. You got to get on a bus and you got to drive 45 minutes and you got to sit in that bus for the and You're cold and you're exhausted. There's nowhere to put you barely and There's thousands of people, so many people around and you got to walk a line of buses. Then afterwards you got to bus back. Same thing with the, um, I did the North face endurance 50 K that I have in a, a waiting for a bus hour and a half by the time I finished the race to get to my car. These are the things that annoy, that annoy me. So I thought, what if I keep the race very small, no matter what? What if I have a loop so there's no shuttles? What if I have uh, food that's for everybody? Not you have to check off your number on your, on your number and then only the runners get to, it's like, no, what if there's beer and food for everybody? I don't care who, should, like, so, so somebody shows up to watch the race. You know, these are the kind of like cool swag, like I have different cool stuff. Like I just crafted it that way and I kept the number really, really low. Um, the first year, my top was 75. I sold that out and had to raise it to 100 that first year, the next year I went to 150 and that's how I've kept it every year. People go, you should grow it. You should do another distance as well. I go, nope, this is first of all, my fourth job. And second of all, I like it the way it is. I like that it's intimate. I high five every single person when they come across that finish line, every single person. It's very familial. And as you know, like I don't promote the race and this year's race sold out in 25 minutes and with another 90 people on a wait list, I do nothing other than send an email saying I'm opening registration this day. And I think people really take to that kind of under the, it's not a marquee race. I've had pros run it, but it's not really a marquee race. It's just a, it's a, it's just a, it's got its own thing. I like the Stanford Inn, oddly enough. Like it's kind of, that's why I like working there because it's just a completely weird thing and people dig it and that's good enough for me. And so um, that was the inspiration for the race. So, you know, speaking of the, the field size of being 150 people, this year I was actually late to register. I was, I was beyond that 20 minutes and I had to reach out to Sid and say, you know, please, like, I'm going to break my streak. I'm going to lose my streak yeah. if I don't get to run it this year. Uh, yeah. And you were gracious enough to, to let me in. So I appreciate that. Um, and in terms of the course, so uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful course. Uh, I think year one, we went through, we went from the beach to the headlands first, right. and then we went through the woods um, back to the beach at the finish. Um, yep. Second year was the year that you reversed the course, right? No, I kept was, it the same. I kept it clockwise that second year. And that's when, do you remember the rope? You obviously you remember the rope. So, so, so in the first five miles going that direction, you had to climb that rope and there was some bottlenecking. Now I will tell you that 99% of people loved, they, they didn't care. Like they had to wait at the rope for 10 minutes and, and they got up the rope, but it was just enough of a, of an, an annoyance. And the guy that helped me map the course out, this guy, Rick Hemmings, who runs the canoeing department at the, and biking at the inn. He said, what if we do it the opposite way? And I said, oh, that's genius. So now it's the last five miles and you come down the rope. And then by that time, everybody's spread out and there's no, there's no bottlenecking. And so that third year is when we went counter and it just worked so great that I thought this is how I'm going to do it from now on. Yeah. yeah. I remember you took a survey of uh, all the participants. I remember writing, you know, I love the, the new or the current counterclockwise way because you're kind of going on these fire trails in the first 10 miles and yeah. you know, you're kind of able to shake your legs out. It's not too, yeah. not too bad. And then you start getting the elevation yeah. um, in the woods. And then by the time you get to this, um, you know, rope that you have to climb down at the end, 
um, one, it's an extremely unique uh, feature of any course. Right. Um, yeah. But two, the field spread out, so there's no congestion. Um, and then you also get to finish running along the headlands when oh, it's midday, crazy. and yeah. you know the the tourists are out, and you get yeah. a little bit of like fans and spectators yeah. and things like yeah. that. So yeah. it all it all worked perfectly. It's like yeah, families can cheer their people in a lot easier this way because you come across, and it's absolutely. If you haven't seen pictures, they should go to the website because you can. There's a shot of the town, but you're running along these cliffs, literally with the ocean crashing onto the. I mean, it's like holy, it's unbelievable. You know, it's yeah. so beautiful, and it's just such a great way to finish the race. Yeah. So the the website for the Mendocino Ultra is mendocinoultra.com. Uh, but Sid, talking about the ultra, you actually run the course twice in the two days, uh, and actually three days, right? You run it the day before the race to mark the course, and then you run it the day after to take down all the markings. Is that right? Well, I did that the first two years, but since then I've now hired because I'm too tired. I, so that, so I think yeah, the first years, the second year, my training partner and I did to go clean up the markings, and it was. A, mentally, it was one of the worst runs I've ever taken. It was so brutal. I wanted to be home. I was really tired. There's a lot of stress. I have people coming from all over the country. This year would have been the world. I had the UK, Japan, and Australia this year for the first time. Um, and so I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. So I hire mountain bikers who do the marking. I just paid them extra to, to clean it up afterwards. I just go, please just go out. I want to sleep the next day. And so they're happy to they get paid to be to buy the trails so they're super happy so that's how it's been but yeah i run it the day before i have it marked about two day, two to three days before i run it the day before with a buddy of mine um out of healdsburg named skip brand who runs the healdsburg running company and mm. he and i it's become a tradition uh where we run it the day before um and i bring extra marking and and you know mark where needed if if needed and and just check the trails and i think it helps it's a very good first ultra for people. A lot of a lot of people it's their first ultra, and I think it gives them a sense of confidence that I've just done it the day before, and I'm walking around and I'm fine, and I get to say like I just ran it the day before, and they're like, oh, maybe we can do this. It doesn't. He's not like laying on a couch in the fetal position, you know. Like it's it's okay, and and they and so it's a little confidence booster, and so oh. they, they have a good time with it. Yeah. I love that. Um, so this was going to be year five. This is going to be my also my fifth straight year running it. Are there any other people that have run it every year so far? What's the, I think there's, you have streakers? A, there's a, I think there's a few, and I mean like probably less than 10 who've run, run it actually every year. Uh, but there's a lot of people who've run it multi-years, you know, like they've skipped, they've missed one of the four, but they've run three or two of the four. So I do get a high return rate yep. um, of the run. And people are like, this is my favorite run of the year. Like I, when I had to cancel this year, I got this, I thought I'd get some angry emails and I, instead I got this flood of really supportive, like this is my favorite run of all the races I do every year and I'm going to be back next year. And so I felt like, in life because it was obviously not a decision I wanted to. In fact, I, a month ago, I was like, no, I'm doing this race and it's small and I can keep it separated. And then it just became too unreasonable when they were like no groups of 10 or more. I was like, oh my gosh, this is too nuts. And I didn't want people having to travel from out of the county to in county. And it just wasn't a good deal. But um, yeah, so I have a lot of returns. I, you may be one of the only ones who've actually run it every single year, but um, I have to check on that. Okay. I'm Let's just train. say you're the one. You're the I, only one. I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to keep the, the streak alive regardless. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm young, you know, I'll outlast them regardless. So uh, yeah, you'll probably outlast the race itself. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't kill me first. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the postponement. And and you and I had actually exchanged uh, an email, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And, and you know, we were both kind of uh, of the same persuasion that we really wanted the race to go on. Um, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, once... The, the order came down of, you know, no more than 10 people or no more than 50 people in gatherings. Um, what, what did you have to do in terms of, uh, you know, adjusting plans? Well, it's a kind of amazing, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a small fish in a very small, like even smaller pond, but yet the ripple effect of my decision, I, I thought, wow, this is, it really sank in for the whole country because on the day that I canceled, I then had to contact vendors who I had hired and was about to, like I was, I had some stuff printed already, but I was able to catch other stuff. So canceled those orders, canceled the porta potties, canceled the tents, canceled the uh, beer. You know, like there was just all of a sudden the ripple effect of like, I was like, Oh no wait, I got to cancel that too. I got to cancel that too. And all these poor people, I, you know, but I literally have to wait till next year. Cause I, everybody in this year gets free for next year. So it's not like I'm getting more registration next year. So I've got to save this money to be used next year. And so it was just heartbreaking to, and everybody understood. It wasn't like that, but it was like, I just got to call my guy who makes my, and I wasn't going to do shirts this year. So I was going to do hoodies. And I was so excited. And I said, listen, I so bad. And he was so understanding He's a buddy. And he's become a sponsor of the race. And, um, you know, and, and, and I, but I had to like, say, I can't do that, you know, and the, and the, just everything, everything was like the permit, you know, so I had to call the permitters and say, 
you know, this is, so they're refunding my permit. I have to get two permits, uh, one for state parks and one for Jackson demonstration state. Just there's two separate, most of the trails on state parks, there's a little leg of seven miles where I have to pay 800 bucks to run on those seven miles, which is kind of a bummer. But, um, but you know, so I had to call them and go, listen, here it goes. And nobody was surprised, but it was just, I just saw the ripple effect of, of having to, to get that done. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how this impacts, you know, uh, an economy like Mendocino and, and Sonoma County and Healdsburg, where, you know, some of your vendors are, are coming from and, and the business impacts that you're seeing in terms of Stanford Inn as well? Well, the Stanford Inn, I mean, we're shutting our doors tomorrow. You know, we're literally closing and, 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 and it's insane. But, but you know, a lot, a good amount of my runners stayed at Stanford Inn. They stay at the Little River Inn, which was also a sponsor. They stay at the Beachcomber up in um, Fort Bragg, which was also a sponsor. So as I, and then they bring friends and you bring family. I mean, there's probably three or 400 people that come to the coast that otherwise wouldn't be there. And they eat in the restaurants and they shop at the markets and they stay at the, at the, at the lodging. That's all gone. And they buy gas. That's all gone. And that's just, it's like, again, it's 400 people. It's not thousands, but it's something, you know, it's real. And these are people that I know. And this is why I love living here because I'm connected. I like, I know people I never did in LA in that way, not in this way. And so it's very personal when you see having to pull the plug on stuff and having to see the ramifications, Jeff and Joan had to make a decision of like shutting the doors that they're in. They don't shut the, we're open 365 days a year. I mean, the only day they've ever shut down was when their daughter got married there as far as I've been there 14 years. And, and so for them to be like, yes, we're shutting down for three weeks. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. So, um, you know, I was there today, like we're wrapping stuff up, you know, like, okay, close this down, throw this food away. Cause it's going to go bad and we're shutting the restaurant down, you know? And it, and so it's, it's a very weird, um, a very, very weird time. And I got to see that in a very personal way, like I said. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is certainly a strange time. Um, so the show will go on next year. Uh, yeah. You've already set a tentative date for 2021, which is, what was it, April 17th? April, Saturday, April 17th, yeah. Saturday, April 17th, 2021. The field is basically going to stay the same in terms of the people who are already registered. Um, so, so you're not going to take any new registrations or, or grow the race. I, I will take, so here's a, every, every registered runner is going to get a coupon that's a hundred percent discount and I will give them a certain amount of time to pull the plug and I'll let them know or pull the trigger rather. I'll be like, okay, you have until this day to use this coupon and sign up for this race. Probably not everybody that's registered right now. And I was already oversold by 25 runners plus another 90 on the wait list. So maybe anyway, I have no idea. So maybe some of them won't be able to run next year, April 17th. Um, and so if there's spaces, then I will then open public registration and people can sign up as they usually would. And then the wait list will grow as it, as it grows. I'm not taking the wait list with me. I'm only taking the registered runners with me and then anybody else can sign up when they sign up and, and get on the wait list again. And I'll do the same thing, which is that if somebody cancels, I'll let somebody in from the wait list. Got it. That makes sense. And you talked a little bit about how, you know, the race is 150 people right now. Uh, you don't really intend to grow it in terms of size and, and field size. Um, what what are your goals for the race? What do you what do you want to see from the race? Uh, you know, eventually or longer term? Literally nothing. And 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 I don't mean that in a negative way. I love this race, it, I, and that's why it was so devastating for me to have to cancel it. Because as stressful as it is, I love this race. I love that I see people like you that I've, you know, I don't know you well, but I, it's like a, it's like a, it's become kind of familial. There's a lot of recognizable faces. Um, I like that intimacy. I like the, um, the boutique-ness of it. Um, I like that it's not flashy. I don't have a bunch of crazy sponsors and this Matt North face. It's like this kind of dragged, it's a ragtag race in my, in my, in my brain. And that's again, why I like it. Um, I don't want to change it, you know, and, and, I'm not a full-time race director. I don't make a living from this. It's a labor of love and I want to keep doing it and I don't want it to cause undue stress to me or my family. So I, I dialed it in now. I know how to do it. I have the same to-do list on an app called Wonderlist. I check it off every year and then it, before I start the following year, I uncheck everything and start checking it off again. So I, I know how to do it. I've done it. And so I don't want to grow it. I don't want to add distances. I don't want to do a second race. All these things, people go, you should do a second race. You should do this. If you had any idea how much time this goes into, and this is not a, you know, I have my, my buddy Bree, who's the volunteer coordinator. I gave her the assistant race director uh, title this year, but of course it got canceled. So, you know, causation, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> um, and so, um, but she does volunteer. I've got, you know, 35, 45 volunteers. So it's, I, I can't do it alone, obviously. And the volunteers have been phenomenal. And people just, and they have the, I, they always go like, that was the most fun day. I'm like, how, that's amazing. Like they're volunteering 
for a race that's not theirs and they have a good time and they're thanking me. I go, don't thank me. I should be thanking you. Like you volunteered for a run. Um, I donate money to the farm sanctuary, donate portion of proceeds to the farm sanctuary. And, um, and so it's just, it's, I just something, I love it. And I, I don't want to rock the boat, frankly. Like I don't want to rock the boat. And that's why I always say like right now it sells out every year. If people go like, yeah, I've been there, done that. And I get no signups the following year, then I cancel the race. I, I like, I don't, I'm not married to it like that. It's fun and I love it. And if it doesn't, if it loses popularity, then I'll move on to something else. Okay, great. Um, well, I'll keep signing up uh, as you know, and if, yeah, if the, helps you know, the number of participants ever dwindles, I'll, I'll recruit other people to sign up as well so we can keep this Good. thing going. But, uh, yeah. but certainly in the short term, there's no issues in terms of the popularity. Um, so Sid, let's kind of transition to, uh, you know, from this long, slow distance uh, topic of, of ultra marathons and uh, let's go to a fartlek uh, kind of word association segment. Um, so I'm going to, you know, mention a few different questions to you, uh, would love kind of your word association and just quick hit responses. And then, you know, maybe for some of these, I'll dive in a little bit more. So, uh, okay. let's talk about what's your favorite post-race beverage, uh, water or orange juice, orange juice. Yeah. I've, I've never heard orange juice as someone's favorite post-race uh, beverage before. I love one. I love fresh orange juice. So pulp, just- or, pulp or no pulp? Medium pulp. Let's not medium. go crazy on the pulp. Let's not okay. go nuts on the pulp. I mean, it should be juice more than, you know, pulp. But yeah, uh, fresh orange juice would be phenomenal or just water these days. I'm, I do intermittent fasting and stuff like that. So a lot of my runs are just runs on water only. And I finish with water and I'm digging that. Well, okay, great. Um, do you run with your watch, your phone, or neither? Uh, both. I don't use my phone except for to shoot video if I'm doing it for my YouTube or my, my Vimeo channel. Um, my watch only to pay attention to the time of day. Um, I will log the run. I'll hit start, but I don't look at pacing. But yeah, I have a, a Sunto. Got it. When you run, do you listen to music, podcasts, or neither? Uh, neither. Can I answer that a little bit deeper? Yes, so yeah. when I was training for my first ultra, uh, here I am. I've got twins you know, and I'm getting up really early so that I'm home from the run by the time they get up. So I'm not sacrificing time with family, but my wife and I are like, you know, we're deep in and I already have a, you know, older child, few years older child. And then we've got these twins and it's, we're busy with twins. It's crazy. And I thought I'm dying for alone time. So, so I thought, what if I just try to train and be out with nothing? What can I do that? And that was almost harder than the physical training for the damn race. I'm not kidding to be, go up for a four hour run with nothing. And I wanted to see what that was like. And I've gotten very good at just, I, I started carrying a digital voice recorder. So I would have a lots of ideas for my podcast, uh, lots of ideas for my videos, things would just flow in I, I, ideas for songs. Like all of a sudden there was just like this entry point of stuff coming in when I wasn't forcing something into my head. And I came to very much appreciate that on occasion. I'll listen to a podcast if I'm going on a shorter run, like on occasion, but generally if I'm on a long run, I'm either with Sid and we're chatting away, talking about stuff. And I like the social part of that, or I'm just not doing anything at all. Got it. Great. Um, it sounds like you mainly run solo, right? Or with your friend, Sid, uh, do you do any group runs or do you prefer group running or tandem running to solo? Um, I will go with Sid. She just moved out of the area, but usually once a week at best, I mean, maybe a couple, two or three times a month, we'll go out on one day on a weekend. So mostly solo. I mean, like 99% of my runs are solo. Um, I don't hook up with groups. Um, not, that's just not really my personality. And also I live in an area where there's just not that many people. And second of all, I'm not that fast for runners. So if, if anybody's like serious runner, usually they're just way faster than I am. And I just kind of want to go out there and tool around. I hike the hills. Even if it's on a seven mile run, I'll, you know, on trails, I'll hike the hills, you know, and I'm not, I'm not kind of a type A, like gotta run, gotta hit the pace, you know? And yeah. so Sid and I really f- work well together because we're just about the same exact pace and it works really well that way. So we just chat away. We're always yeah. talking. So we're not so beat up that we can't talk, you know, yeah. we're just like talking away. If we want to stop, we just stop, <laughs> you yeah. know? That makes yeah. sense. Um, so it sounds like maybe you and I shouldn't go on training runs together. Uh, I'm, I'm more than the I've type seen, A. I've seen, you, I've seen you come in second at my race. Trust <laughs> me. We're not, you and I are not going on training. Right here. Um, when you're racing on your own, would you, uh, or running your own race, uh, would you rather win the race or run a personal record? I'm going to say neither. I like to finish. I like to finish the race. And I like to say my best race ever was the North North coast 50 K. Um, the way I did it, uh, was I didn't follow a specific training plan. Didn't follow a nutrition plan. Didn't on purpose know anything about the race. It was an experiment that I talked about on my podcast. I showed up with a bottle of water, handheld, no gels, nothing. And thought, what if I just do it this way? And I had the best race day. I had the 
best recovery. I mean, the next day my wife's like, you could run today. And I go, yeah, I could run. I'm not limping around. I felt phenomenal. It was like an eight hour and 20 minute, like I, again, but a lot of elevation. I felt really good. And it was a great day. I could not care less about like, did I beat the time from the last year? I'm just not, that's just not my thing. I, I am about the experience of the ultra and, and it's not to knock anybody trying to PR. I'm not saying that at all. Just for me, where I am with my, everything else I do, with the books and the kids and everything else. Like I want to be able to run strong and keep running. I just want to keep running. Yeah. That makes sense. I love that. Um, so, you know, that's kind of like a good philosophy and a good, good kind of, um, you know, closing point to keep on of, you know, just keep running and, and keep moving. Um, would love to hear, you know, lastly was, as we kind of wrap our conversation uh, in this cool down section, you know, I've asked you a lot of questions during this conversation. Um, you know, what are some things that maybe we didn't talk about uh, that you that you feel like is an underappreciated facet of of Sid Garza Hillman's personality? I don't I don't know. I mean, maybe I, all I could say is I guess I could bring up my music because for years that was you know I was a full time musician again working actor but full time musician it left me a lot of time to play music and everything else and it hasn't left me. Um, I did take a break of it from, from it for a while. Well, I think Los Angeles, the whole music scene there burnt me out. We did a bunch of, you know, we did about four albums and, and, you know, toured and that kind of thing in my band. And, um, so I guess it's an aspect of me that is still present to me. I'm writing again and, and played a show last year for the first time in 14 years in Los Angeles with my, with my band, got them together for my 50th birthday and played a, a reunion show. And, um, so it's a part of me. And I guess the point is, is that, we're multifaceted, you know, they're human beings are not one thing. And I like, I like that, that there's different aspects of me that fill me out and make me the person that I am. And also the father and husband that I am. And these are all parts that are equally important. And it's not just about one thing. I love that. Um, Sid, where can people find you online? Well, I quit all social media in December of 2018 uh, as part of, again, just kind of who I am, everything else. So the best place to do is SidGarzaHillman.com. Um, and through there, you can see the my Vimeo, you can get my podcast episodes. They're also everywhere you get podcasts or whatever. Um, you can see, you can get links to my books. You can get um, my blog and you can sign, please sign up for my mailing list because that is my main portal. I blog and then I keep people updated on where I'm speaking. I speak around the country at different events, most of which got canceled in the next two months because of this craziness. I was supposed to be in uh, Texas next week and then New York and North Carolina. And uh, those all look like they're all kind of going south. But, um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, SidGarzaHillman.com. And you can also get to Small Steppers that way, which is my 12-week uh, training course. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, Sid, for, for joining the show. Uh, honestly, it's been a real pleasure just in terms of running your race over the past four years, uh, running it for the indefinite number of years that, it'll, that you'll keep, keep at it. Um, and I uh, want to thank you again for coming on the show. That's an absolute pleasure. And, and, and I've always enjoyed hanging out with you and I hope to see you next year. So you got to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right. Thanks so much. Cool. You got it.